90s footy fans, welcome to another series of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. The response for the first five series has been overwhelming, and a big thank you to those who love reliving one of the greatest decades of football with so many great names. Series six, we have some great names lined up for you, including Longmire, Cameron, Hocking, Ola Renshaw, Norrish, McIntosh, Barnard, Corns, and McIver. To open up Series 6, the guests get no bigger than North Melbourne Premiership player and current Sydney Swans coach, John Longmire. John from Cora, New South Wales, spent 11 seasons at the Kangaroos, playing 200 games and kicking 511 goals. He was part of the 1999 Premiership team. He won a Sid Barker medal and was the club's leading goal kicker on five occasions. In this episode, John talks about how he and Wayne Carey joined North Melbourne, their synergy up forward together, winning the Coleman medal at 20 years of age, the knee injury, the premiership, and coaching the Sydney Swans. I hope you enjoy the 51st member of the 90s Club Footy Podcast, John Longmire. John Longmire, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to have your company, mate. Really appreciate you taking some time to have a chat with us. No worries. Good to be with you, Trent. Reflecting on the 90s, is that something you, you regularly do, John? Or obviously in your role as coach of the Sydney Swans, obviously, you know, the focus is on the current day, but do you reflect and reminisce much on the 90s? I actually had a player that uh, and we just recently drafted uh, a few days ago asked me whether I played. And so, uh, <laughs> so it's not something I uh, I spend a lot of time thinking of, thinking about, but occasionally you go back to it. I mean, I I have um, some old games that are played during the the summertime on on Fox Footy that gets a bit of a run, and and I often or at times get text messages from some of the players telling me to chase and tackle like I asked them to do, and um, they can't see they can't see much of that from my old footage. So uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. Now, usually I ask my guests about what they're currently doing with themselves, but as we know, you're the senior coach of the Sydney Swans and have been since 2011. How do you enjoy the role, mate? Obviously a very busy one at that, but do you still carry a real lot of passion for coaching and seeing the next generation of footballers coming through? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been fortunate. I've been 20, 21 years in Sydney and um, and you know, 12 odd years as coach, as senior coach. So I'm, I'm really fortunate to still be involved in the game that I, that I was. I really started at 16 when I first went to North. So I'm fortunate to be still involved. And and one of the great things about coaching is is the seeing another generation of players come through underneath a, a new lot of 18 year old young fellas and their families, and seeing them go through the same joys and. And and thoughts and experiences that you know even I went through and but you're you're able to see the the new generation come through every year and that that sort of regenerates you and gives you gives me great excitement every year. Now I'm really interested on how you made your way to North Melbourne because I reckon you would have been Sydney zoned as you grew up playing in the Ovenden Murray Footy League with Carroll Rutherglen. How did you make your way to the to the North Melbourne Football Club? Yeah, myself and Wayne Carey actually played in uh, in. Uh, under 12s together up in Darwin um, at PWSA and 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 I played in the Korean League for Rand the Rand Pigeons 
when I was a when I was a youngster, which zoned me to the Sydney Swans. Uh, even though I went to North, I went to went to Coral Rutherglen. I actually, which was the North Melbourne zone, um, I was still tied essentially to to the Sydney Swans. And so, what happened was um, I, I started playing senior footy in 1987 up there, and um, and uh, got a bit of interest from a from a number of clubs. At that time, the City Swans were going through some real financial troubles, and they were selling, you know, players like Kappa and, and a few others. And and so North Melbourne, their wisdom, Greg Miller, who used to work for the Swans, had, had started working for um, North Melbourne, had followed us since we were under twelves in Darwin, uh, myself and Wayne, and um, saw us coming through. And North Melbourne ended up putting a, a deal to the Sydney Swans. I think it was about sixty grand, in which case was a, a pay. Straight to the Sydney Swans, not to us, but to the Sydney Swans, <laughs> uh, which the Swans agreed to, and and they needed the money, and and so they really traded us over to to North Melbourne before we'd come into the system. The second quarter marked the emergence of country kid John Longmire. The first gamer put in the position of power at full forward showed quickly he could surely mix it in the big league, and North soon discovered they had a dependable target. John Longmire too remained on top of things despite some roughing up. He finished his debut day on a high, so too the Kangas, winners by 38 points. Now, I reckon I read too that uh, you, know, you got the big pricing for the transfer fee and Wayne came in with a little bit less. So obviously, Wayne Carey, as we know, absolute superstar, but he must have been thrown in like a bit of a set of steak knives, really, with the deal. Yeah, it was the only time that's ever happened, though, Trent. Uh, from there on in, you know, I really knew my place in the pecking order, and that was a long, long way behind the duck. So that was the only time I, I matured. At, I was sort of I picked at sixteen and went downhill from there. So um, yeah, that was the only time I was in front of the duck in the pecking order. I'll tell you what a combo they Longmire and Carey in your forward line. Uh, I'll tell you, what, North Melbourne fans in the years to come were certainly excited about that. One of your first matches you played in, horse was in Kangaroo Colours, was that infamous Battle of Britain match over at the Oval. Obviously a youngster. What do you remember of that game and what a starting point for your career? That was actually my first time that I met the players. I was 16. I got a phone call from Ron Josephs during the year, who was the general manager of the, of the uh, of North Melbourne. And he said, Would you, what are you doing in October? And um, I was working on the farm at the time. I left school and I was year t- in year 10. And I, and I said, October's shearing time. I'll be shearing. He said, well, how about, you, would you consider going to London and playing for North Melbourne against Carlton in the in, in the end of season exhibition game? And I thought for it about two seconds and said, absolutely. <laughs> Put the phone down and went and told the old man I wouldn't be there for shearing. Um, then I first, met my, I first met my teammates at the airport um, as a 16-year-old uh, Mum dropped me off, 16, walked in with my bags into the airport and he was all my, I barracked for North at the time and here's, here's all the North Melbourne players sitting in the lounge. And um, that was the first time I met my teammates, got on the plane, flew to London and played in the Battle of Britain as a 16-year-old and there was 12 reports and well-documented, uh, an incredible game of footy and that was my first experience. Unbelievable. Were you near the action or were you on the bench at the stage when obviously when the, the hoo-ha started? Yeah, I was on the bench and John Kennedy uh, was our coach, John Kennedy Senior. And um, just after uh, Alistair Clarkson and Ian Aiken come to come to blows, uh, it all blew up and he told me to get on, young fella, see how you go. And I nearly crawled across the boundary line. I was that petrified. And uh, Reese Jones, who was um, playing for Carlton, obviously, at the time, ran ran up and went to went to whack me. And I think Paul Spargo said, don't hit him, Reese. he's only 16. 
And uh, Reese said, words along the lines, I don't really care, Paul. He's, he's copying it. And so uh, it was an amazing experience. And we were staying at the same hotel. So that was quite a, an icy night, that night back at the same hotel. So, yeah, it was an interesting way to get indoctrinated into AFL footy. Now, during your early part of the career, John, you spent some time playing fullback, I was reading. And was that decision out of necessity for I did see in one game you played on the great plugger locket and kept him pretty quiet one afternoon in 1989. Yeah, I went um, I went down there early on. John Kennedy thought it was a good experience for me to learn to play at the other end of the ground, and uh, he was absolutely spot on. I played on some of the best full forwards of all time, you know, Lockett, uh, Dunstall, uh, Ablett. Um, there was just such a, a lot of them around, and, and I went back there and played. I mean, the first practice game I played fullback, I was – just turned 17, only a month or two away from us, just turned 17. And I played on Lockett and, uh, and a, in a preseason game, he kicked eight on me, I think. And I, I remember driving home thinking, I, I just can't play this game. And and um, I was I was fortunate, I guess, to get some experience down there. And and whenever Mick Martin seemed to get injured over my career, I was still thrown back there, even though I'd, I'd play full forward. So Mick sometimes would think it was a bit too hard to play on some of the full forwards. He'd have the game <laughs> off, and I'd get thrown down to the back line. <laughs> <laughs> and then 1990, you went back into the forward line, and what a special year for you individually. You know, on many fronts, John, you won the Coleman Medal at the age of 19. I think you might have been the youngest Coleman medalist at that stage. You won the Sid Barker Medal. In that season, you twice broke the North Melbourne goal-kicking record with 12 and 14 goals. What was the catalyst behind your strong season that year? Oh, I, I don't know. I think I'd started to settle into Melbourne a bit. I'd, um, my first two years, I'd, I'd had stress fractures in my feet. So my first year, I played a senior game and I missed about eight weeks with a stress fracture. And I, In the second year, I had the same thing. I missed six to seven weeks with a, a similar stress fracture in my feet. So the first two years, I had, had had these injuries that sort of held me back a bit, and um, and that was that was eighty eight, eighty nine, and and then so nineteen ninety, I was sort of felt like it was the first time I'd settled a little bit. Um, I'd decent run with with injury and got into a bit of a rhythm of playing full forward, and um, and we had a young team that was coming through the system. A lot of players had played together in the under-19s and they were coming through at that time. Shimmer was coach, Wayne Shimmerbush, and um, yeah, everything seemed to work there for a few for a number of weeks. I was just fortunate to be able to uh, be on the end of a good young team that was on the up. Do you look back at the 90 season, probably a question you get regularly asked about, obviously getting so close to 100 goals in a season. I know you had a chance in that last round, but for someone of your age to kick, you know, to get that close, like you, you look back then, it was a pretty impressive season. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, as you say, I was, I was just 19. I was still a, still a baby in a lot of ways. And um, and uh, I, I had the opportunity, obviously, I only need four goals in my last game and I kicked two goals eight. I thought uh, quarter time was all going to be over by half time. I thought this would be done <laughs> and dusted. And then I just started spraying them all over the place. And, and, um, and um, you know, I had plenty of shots at goal. just couldn't hit, couldn't finish off those last two. So, you know, I learned a lot from that as a, as a 19-year-old and and I think that, you know, in the end, it's just one of those experiences you go through. I think that I was fortunate. I was a, I was a big, big young bloke and so I had the size about me, but um, um, it, I just still, was still maturing in a lot of ways in my football-wise. 1990 was an, a memorable year as well because State of Origin was still very hot, you know, in, uh, in AFL circles and Unbelievably, you played for Victoria and New South Wales in that same year. Can you remember how this was allowed to occur? Were you not just tied yeah. to the one state or was it because you 
but playing with North Melbourne, you got the chance to represent Victoria, but then having that Sydney zone or that Sydney connection to New South Wales. Well, I was born in New South Wales and um, and went to and I lived in New South Wales um, up until I moved to Melbourne. So even though we're on the border and, and closer to Melbourne, what we were Sydney, um, I was born in New South Wales. Played footy for New South Wales as a kid all the way through. So. Um, I was, you know, I played for New South Wales. It was back when the the state of origin rules were pretty loose. I mean, when we played New South Wales versus Victoria at the SCG, the there was we had Western Australians playing for us. There was it was a bit loose. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we I remember we rolled. Obviously, we rolled the Vicks that night at the SCG, and it was an unbelievable night. The first night, the four Danahers all played together in the one team, and. Uh, was incredible. Uh, afterwards, going out with the four Danahers and the and the sisters and the and the whole Danaher clan it was an amazing night. I roomed with Neil Danaher that night, and um, and I had a great experience. And then a couple of weeks later, played for Victoria. As once again, the rules were all over the joint. I don't know how I ended up playing for Victoria. Brett Allison and I both played for New South Wales. Two weeks later, played for Victoria. Uh, we got beaten by Tasmania and Teddy Witten said, you two will never play for Victoria again. And he was right. <laughs> we didn't. So uh, it was it was a good experience. So. How was that received by the Victoria players that were on the end of that loss to you only the first time around? And obviously you kicked a few goals that night too. Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, pouring rain. And um, I was lucky enough to kick a few goals and, and have a great night. It was an amazing experience. And, um, yeah, there's still, there's still that group of, of guys that played in that game that it's still when we see each other, it's just a, you know, we have a bit of a laugh about it. And, and um, you know, I, I was lucky enough to meet some great people that I was got close with at the Swans many years later that, that either were trainers or or help us out in that game that I got to know really well. So, yeah, it was, it was an incredible time. Quickly enough, now Brownells is up over the centre. And he is a thumping kick, kicks it to Longmire. Oh, what a mark! He's fired up this guy, isn't he? Chock full of confidence, that's a confidence mark, a confidence mark. Well, he's kicked five, and all of a sudden, Don's got a chance of putting New South Wales in front at half-time. Well, let's hope he does, because it'll make a real game of it. And again, the value of a long kick coming from Brownless. Well, think of the adrenaline pumping in this young man now. Drop punt, timed it well, kicks it very, very well, and puts him in front. as good as you'll see in a half a footy. John Longmire has taken this game by the scruff of its neck as the siren sounds. And who said this wouldn't be exciting? At halftime, New South Wales 8-5, Victoria 7-8. Obviously, you spoke about getting uh, recruited to North Melbourne with the great Wayne Carey. In the 90s, you guys had one of the best forward combinations. When you're on fire and Wayne were on fire, very hard to stop. How much did you enjoy playing alongside the duck? Yeah, I had a front row seat to the to the bloke who I consider to be the best player I've seen, and and I'm you know naturally a bit biased, um, but you know there was you know you'd walk out to your positions at the start of games or at quarter time or half time after being the huddle, and you'd and I'd walk to full forward, and duck would walk off to to centre half forward, and you'd just be confident knowing the sort the type of player he was. He was an amazing player, like incredibly fit, incredibly strong, unbelievably quick, agile. He had everything, and um, and he was just a um, yeah. yeah I, I got to you know as he got he got better really quickly, and he went certainly went past me as far as uh, his ability and what he had the impact on the team, and and so I, I just. I just tried to get out of his way mainly. I was, you know, he was he was running. Um, yeah, he was a gun. 
an absolute star of the game in the nineties, and and um, and we had a game plan that suited the tall forwards, um, young forwards coming through that were uh, you know McKernan and those guys were on their way through as well. So we were fortunate enough to be able to play in a really good uh, era and um, and had some wonderful times, wonderful experiences, and you know a lot of a lot of final success. You were a great tactician in your own right with your coaching at Sydney, John. The Pagan's Paddock was a game strategy that North Melbourne implemented and implemented well. And it was, I guess, from a, a spectator's point of view, opposition clubs knew exactly what you were doing, but they found it really hard to stop you doing what you did so well. What was the, the reason why Sykes just couldn't nullify Pagan's Paddock when you guys rolled it out? Yeah, we had a very um, a very clear, defined game plan. And Dennis was probably one of the first coaches I've seen that came in with a really clear, defined game plan. It was really strict. Um, and and so we trained it all the time. And so everyone knew what it was. But as in every game plan, the secret is trying to beat it. And and we were very efficient with the ball. We'd all push up the ground. Um, everyone would get up the ground. And in the end, it would be just if we could get the ball, we'd go forward. If you see Richmond play now or... Or you know, there's a number of clubs that play a really direct brand of footy, and um, and and go forward. There's a number of clubs that do it now. That you know, there's versions of it. It evolves and it goes different ways according to your strengths. But it suited us as a team back then that we were able to get up the ground, work really hard, and go direct um, towards goal and be really efficient with our ball use. And um, it suited teams that had a, a good forward line, and uh, it suited us and. Uh, we were able to, you know, Brett Allison and those guys, the feet of tall, of tall marking forwards just suited us. And, you know, Kerry going back towards goal was a frightening sight for any opposition team. <laughs> it certainly was, even for supporters and that as well, to watch Kerry go about it. Unbelievable. North Melbourne was synonymous with Friday night football during the 1990s. How much did you enjoy being a part of that 1990s Friday night footy scene? Yeah, I loved it. We were lucky that Ron Casey was our our chairman at the time, and he had a strong Channel 7 background. And and we really owned uh, Friday Night Footy there for a, a long time. And we weren't seen as a, as a big club as such, but we were in a sense of Friday Night Football. There'd be regularly 70,000 plus uh, at the MCG. And that was an amazing experience because we'd, we'd play in front of you know, the biggest crowds on, on for the weekend on a Friday night. And uh, prime time television and 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 massive crowds, great atmosphere. It was outstanding, and and you know something that's regular now. But back then, we we're sort of seen as the pioneers of that of that um, football on Friday night television, and and it was just wonderful. You know, people come down from work, and and the, the electricity as you're driving to the ground, and um, you get the weekends off, which is always good for the country lads. And then on a Saturday morning, can go back home and back to the bush and and things like that. So it worked in well on all fronts. But we were lucky. It was it was amazing, amazing experience playing in front of the biggest crowds. Do you think that propelled you guys well for the finals campaigns that you played? Obviously, playing in front of those big crowds, and obviously football finals were played at night times progressively more throughout that nineties decade as well. So do you think obviously having the experience of Friday night football helped with playing good finals footy in those latter yeah. years as well? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, our game style suited it, uh, suited finals footy, which is, which is you know, it's a pretty crash and bash mode it was back then. And um, in a very, as I mentioned, very efficient and, and playing in front of the big crowds certainly helped and, and um, you know, prepared a, a younger team because we just got used to playing in front of them every week, and mm. and um, it certainly didn't hurt us. And we we're, I think, through that period of time, that club went on. I think played in seven prelim finals in a row, three grand finals, and two premierships. And it was, 
um, just an amazing ride, and I'm so lucky to be a part of it. Part of it for a while. I, you know, the back end of my career, I wasn't so much a part of it, but you know, it was a, an amazing ride. Allison read it beautifully, sweeps it superbly to Schwass away, lean left footer to the 40 meter line. Oh, Longmire! Surely here's another one. Go for it, Johnny, and kick it. 1996, the club broke its 20 year premiership drought. But unfortunately, John, you, you weren't able to be a part of it due to a knee injury that you sustained. That must have been a year of mixed emotions for you. Obviously, pleased to see the club going so well, but you know, maybe feeling a little bit, um, I guess, maybe jealous or you know, another sort of feeling that you weren't a part of that special day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were a really close, tight group of the Kangas, all young, coming through at the same time. 93, uh, the last game of 93, I did my knee and um, it was my first knee reconstruction and I got back and played the first pre-season game of 94. So it was a five-month rehab for a standard knee reconstruction and we were, it was back in the era when we were racing each other. You know, these days it's 12 months. Back then it was, we, I did it in five and came back and I, I just didn't get the strength that I needed into into it and didn't, didn't allow it to heal. I was able to play a couple of years um, after coming back after the five-month uh, rehab uh, but I, I paid the price in, in 96, in the start of 96 in a pre-season game, did it again. And it shattered me because I, I knew we were on our way. We'd played in prelim finals, you know, whether the, the Cats and Carlton were played against big teams and 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 well, I knew we were on the cusp. Um, I, I started training and got back and had a chance to play again after once again my second five-month rehab um, on my second knee. Um and I pulled the pin. Dennis was Dennis gave me the opportunity to to try and push and play if I wanted to, but um, I got to the point where I thought I was too. I just wasn't doing to myself or the team the right thing. So I pulled the pin, and it was a tough day to sit there and watch it. I was so happy for all my teammates and and so jealous I didn't play. And but during that year, I also got my first taste of coaching, and so maybe it happened for a reason. So what was your role that year with the coaching side of things? I did read that in a little bit of research leading up to our chat tonight. Um, you know, what was your role in 96 with the coaching that you were able to get involved in? Oh, Dennis was terrific. He came and he spoke to me after I, I injured my knee and and said, I think you can play a role with us in the coaching box every week and and be a bit of a conduit between the players and, and the coaching staff and help out with zones and 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 have a have a role every week. And that was my first taste of it. And I, you know, hadn't seen the game from that perspective before, so it gave me a new perspective, and I really enjoyed that. And and I think it did sow the seeds for 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 what I do now. And 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 so um, it it did make me appreciate the game from a different viewpoint. And I think that was good for me. That really broadened my my views on the game. Let's go to 1999. That was your final year, and another high for the club, winning the premiership over Carlton. But before we reflect on the day, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you uh, you know you celebrate and then and your emotions of grand final day in 1999. I did read that um, it was a uh, you know a close call that you know you suffered an elbow injury and it it got pretty close to actually not playing in that game. Yeah, yeah, I was um, I was a shot bird. I'd been playing three years in the reserves. I had a number of injuries, obviously two knee recos during the. During the uh, the back end of that year, the final series, I actually landed at, at training and and, and hyperextended my elbow and tore all the tendons around it, and I thought my season was done. Uh, I strapped myself up. I had strapping on my knee. I strapped my elbow up, and I was sort of hobbling along trying to get there. I, I knew I was I was at the very end. I was only twenty eight, um, 
but I was a, I was an old 28. And so I was just sort of hoping to get there. I knew we had another chance at it. And um, uh, it, was, it was got down to Cameron Mooney and I uh, for, for, for a spot in the team. And, um, and uh, we, we had a training drill and uh, in, in the dark at Arden Street and, he got us to lay on the ground. Dennis and walked away and thought I'd lost a bit of pace. And he threw the ball on the ground, and I whacked I whacked Moons in the guts as hard as I could. And and all of a sudden, I got there first for the ball. And Dennis thought I'd miraculously taken my I miraculously got my speed back. And, I, and so that got me a game. And then uh, unfortunately, Jason McCartney got got suspended. So Moons come back in the team, and you know, I had three possessions on grand final day, uh, uh, two ineffective, and I carried on like I won the Norm Smith medal. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I don't blame you either, mate, because, uh, you know, obviously, you know, they're disappointed not being the 96, but 99, grand final day, it must have been just a great day to celebrate, irrespective of stats and so forth, to celebrate it with all your your mates. And I've had Matty Capuano on the podcast, and he said, like you said before, a really tight-knit group at North Melbourne during those years. Yeah, it was. It was a... Was I thought I'd I missed my chance. I thought in '96 I'd there'd be plenty of chances because I just thought you know you were a dominant team or a, a really competitive team, not a dominant team but a competitive team. And so I thought then '97 we got beaten in the prelim. '98 uh, I didn't get a game in the grand final against Adelaide, and so I thought my chances were it was just going through my fingers. And so '99 when we played and 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 won it, and and um, it was just a just a relief. You know, the the relief it sort of just washed through my body and I was just you know so relieved and so pleased that I was able to finally get there and um yeah the the days afterwards were just really enjoyable and it was my 200th game and and my last game I retired after that so to, you know to finish on a premiership your 200th game your last game was was um you know a dream come true really can you remember where you were when the siren went and who you were near and and you know the celebration that you uh that occurred at that stage? Yeah, I was on the bench because <laughs> somehow my three-possession game wasn't sort of dominating and then so I was, back on, I was back on the bench. I don't know why. I can't work out. You know, I thought the three possessions might have got me in the ground, but um, I was sitting on the bench. I was sitting next to Cameron Mooney who also, who got no possession, so I got three more than Moons. And um, and Anthony Stevens was there who who had a uh, broken foot, who broke his foot in the prelim and, and had a – and he had – Moons was carrying Steve-O over to the – to the huddle, and I just took off. I left, and then I, I took off as fast as I could, which was pretty slow. You could me with a sundial, and I got to the middle of the ground, and just we all jumped on each other, and and um, yeah, the the, the emotions were, were were incredible. Not with only with the players, but the staff, you know, yeah, everyone around the club, all, all the things you love when you win a premiership. Martin's gonna have a shot at goal. He kicks it in long. Longmire and Fletcher. Fletcher tries to punch it. If this drops short, it'll be a goal. Here's a chance. Longmire. Yeah, John, at the end of my podcast, I usually give my guests a few quick handballs, so just sort of real short responses uh, into these questions. So the first thing I usually do is I give my guests five names, teammates or coaches from their time in the AFL, and I'd love you to share a word or a short phrase just to describe your interactions or your relationship with these players. So the first one I'm going to throw at you is Corey McKernan. Um, one of the best, most talented players I've ever played with. Mick Martin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mick Martin. 
one of the best personalities I've ever played with, and nothing was ever his fault. Never made one <laughs> mistake in his life. <laughs> uh, you've spoken about this bloke a little bit, Brett Allison. The best kick I've ever led to. Another forward you played a little bit of footy time with. Didn't play a lot with uh, North Melbourne, but certainly had some great games. Adrian McAdam. Uh, the best ten, ga- f- the best first ten games I've ever seen anyone play. Kicked over sixty three goals in ten games. Absolutely on fire. He kicked seventeen in his first two, didn't he? Didn't he kick a haul of ten and a haul of seven? I've never seen anything like it. It was it was amazing. It was just like. I'd stand out of the way of dark, and then all of a sudden I got Adrian there that was on fire too, so I had to get out of his way. So I didn't know where to go. The next next step was over the fence. These blokes were kicking goals from everywhere. And the last one I'm going to throw at you, he was one of your key lieutenants, obviously, um, in your coaching at Sydney is John Blakely. Yeah, just a great mate. Loyal, hardworking, tough player. What you see is what you get, both as a person and a player. Hardest opponents. Steve Silvani. Best character you played footy with, and I speak about character being uh, have a beer with, a little bit of you know fun banter, that sort of stuff. It's a long list at the Kangaroos. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was plenty of characters to have a have a beer with. I, it would honestly, I, it was Archer, uh, Allison, Stevens, Ashenko, Carey, I, Rock. There was. Uh, it's probably too long a list. I'd like to have a beer with all of them. Who was the one that got you probably more into trouble than not? You had to stay clear of Anthony Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you kicked 511 goals during your time at the Kangaroos. Is there one or two that really stick out as your favourite? Um, uh, first time I played against Richmond, I was lucky enough to kick 12 on a Friday night. And I thought... Yeah, that was the first time that I actually um, put a real stamp on the on what I thought I could do, and so um, I, and I happened to be playing against my boss at the time, Michael Thompson, and uh, I remember on the Monday I turned up to work and he wasn't too happy with me. <laughs> <laughs> he would have had anything to say after having twelve kicked on him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, it was uh, it was a pretty quiet smoke out. <laughs> <laughs> The feeling of winning a premiership as a player in comparison to winning a coach, is there much difference in, you know, celebrations, the feeling, the raw emotion of when it occurs? Because obviously you've had that success with the, the Sydney Swans as well. It's great both, but so much more, you're so much more aware when you're a coach of the impact on so many more people. As a player, you're probably, you know, it's you and your teammates and your media, you know, people around you. As a coach, you're so much more aware of the impact it has on so many people. And and so, you know, when I compare the two, they're, they're both great, but I'd, I'd take the coach. And the last question is, what was the best thing about playing football in the 1990s? Big crowds, um, uh, fast scoring in, in finals, and um, and being in a successful team every week. That was the best part of it. John Longmire, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. been great to reflect and reminisce about your time at the North Melbourne Kangaroos. No, good to talk to you, Trent, and uh, good to reminisce for a little bit. And ladies and gentlemen, would you now please welcome the 1980 Richmond Football Club Premiership coach, Mr Tony Jewell, to present the Jock McHale medal to the coach of the 2012 Toyota AFL Premiership team, the Sydney Swans, John Longmire.
That's the end of episode number 51. If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them all on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter on any particular episode you've enjoyed or a guest you'd love to hear. Next week, we catch up with Essendon Premiership player, Ricky Olerenshaw. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.